Ask the Expert. It's a really sort of a short, informative, and casual conversation. And today we have as our guest, Dr. Yasmin Mosseni, PhD. She's completed her doctorate at King's College London, specializing in immunoregulation in Professor Giovanni Lombardi's lab. And Yasmin's research has been focused on engineering regulatory T-cells or Tregs using chimeric antigen receptors for solid organ transplant rejection. And on completion of that, Yasmin moved to Quell Therapeutics to continue the theme of engineering Tregs for immunoregulation. And at Quell, she is focusing on product research, researching the intricacies of Treg biology that could be fine-tuned into a suitable therapeutic product against numerous indications. And today she's talking to us about engineering uh, Tregs basically for solid organ transplantation using novel chimeric antigen receptors. So I cannot wait to dive in. And what's going on with you? What's happening? So I actually have a little presentation I put of just eight slides. Yeah, so I thought I would just talk about CAR Treg therapy modulation. And this is sort of obviously a very exciting field. It's what I did for my PhD and obviously working at Quell now. We are now focusing on um, CAR Treg therapy for numerous indications, including solid organ transplantation. And yeah, I just want to say that my opinions and everything that I've presented here are my own and the data that I'm presenting is of my PhD. So a very, very brief history of adoptive Treg therapy, I suppose, goes back to around the 2010 mark when we think about polyclonal Treg therapy. And the most success that we've seen so far in the clinical trials has been that of indications such as graft versus host disease, type 1 diabetes and organ transplantation. I know we have a few heroes on here who have uh, contributed to those. Um, including so Leah, I know you and Dr. Jeff Bluestone's lab, where you guys looked at um, polyclonal Treg therapy for type 1 diabetes. And in terms of the organ transplantation, although I didn't specifically um, contribute to those trials, my lab did, my lab for my PhD, uh, contributed to the one study, which was an EU consortium looking at uh, kidney transplant recipients, and uh, the Thrill study, um, which was that of uh, liver transplantation. So all these trials worked and most importantly showed safety of Treg therapy, but the natural progression was then to go towards a sort of antigen specific approach. Now, when we talk about antigen specificity, it's we're looking at a more targeted approach. And by that, we need fewer cell numbers because you've got more Tregs actually going to the site that they need to. And they've been shown many times over to be far more effective. But how do you generate this antigen specificity? How do you engineer this allo reactivity? Um, is it feasible to get donor allo um, Tregs in terms of an organ transplantation? Potentially not, especially if you're dealing with deceased donors. And are these um, cells functionally altered in some way by nature of the disease? So more recently, we've been looking more at gen genetic engineering approaches. And although um, the literature predominantly has been in preclinical work for using TCR engineering approaches or CAR Treg engineering approaches, as of late, it looks like the most success is within CAR Tregs for the solid organ transplantation realm, um, because there's now been regulatory approval received uh, for solid organ transplantation Treg products to enter phase one and two. So Sangamo uh, received MHRA approval for their steadfast trial looking at a CAR Treg generated for kidney transplant. And for us recently at Quell, as in the last few days, we've been granted CTA approval to take our CAR Tregs for liver transplant patients. Great, so it's all, bravo. Yeah, it's very exciting that uh, the direction that um, we're all moving into, especially with CAR Tregs. So if we're looking at CAR Treg 
therapy, the benefit of CAR T-regs as opposed to TCR is that you can engineer them. They're customized for building blocks that can be manipulated in any way that you essentially want. And we can look at um, persistence, boosting persistence, stability, potency, precision, safety, and a universal recognition potentially. And the reason why is because, as I said, these customizable building blocks, we've got the extracellular targeting moiety to go basically whatever SCFP you build it towards, the construct will then target. And then you've got the cytoplasmic co-stimulatory molecules to elicit the response that you want. I won't go into how you could boost each one of these. I mean, persistence, for example, like Megan Levins' group have published looking at different co-stimulatory molecules, such as OX14 and 41BB, which have been shown to boost in persistence because of upregulating anti-apoptotic proteins. I know Leo is on the call. Uh, published a really nice paper looking at um, precision by using gene editing to delete the endogenous TCR and replace the car within the track locus. And um, just a quick side note as well to say that when you're looking at modulating to improve CAR T-reg therapy, it's not necessarily just the construct and what payloads you add, it's also the cell, like what source you're getting the cells from, what subset of T-regs. So it's all these different parameters you need to consider. So for my paper that uh, recently came out, I looked at potentially boosting the potency of CAR T-regs. So what did I do? We looked at potentially turbocharging suppression as the term was pioneered by my MPI. And by doing this, I took my predecessor's construct, which is the anti-HLA2 CAR, kept the same CD28 and CD3 zeta signaling domain, but incorporated the IL-10 transgene so what happens if you give these T-regs a boost of IL-10 release? Now, IL-10 is a cytokine used by T-regs to suppress. It's one of the cytokines they use. But I also incorporated the sodium iodide symporter, NIS, and tagged to a um, RFP as a means of um, in vivo imaging and reporting. But the paper I published was just focusing on in vitro data. So these were the four constructs that I generated. All of them did have this um, sodium iodide supporter um, endogenous reporter gene, just for the case of um, in vivo tracking. So I think the key takeaways from my paper is that the additional payloads did not hinder Treg function phenotype in any way, which is really exciting. I mean, FOXP, if you look at the different constructs, FOXP3 um, remained high and there was no significant difference amongst any of any of the uh, construct Tregs. Um, the construct Tregs that had the IL-10 transgene produced significantly more IL-10 than those that didn't. And the constructs that did have the HLA2 car recognized the HLA2 dextromer specifically compared to the irrelevant dextromer. And in terms of suppression, there was a slight modest increase of suppressive ability um, with the IL-10 transgene, but this was only modest. And I think given in an Aviva setting, maybe we would have seen more and if we had included different cell types. But nevertheless, I think this showed that the additional payloads do offer like a good proof of concept if you are to generate increased CAR T-regs for therapy. Um, in terms of future directions for the field, now what I think now, just to say I am very junior in the field, but what I would say is, would we move towards more of an off-the-shelf therapy approach? Now, this is really important in CAR T-cells and oncology settings, because obviously patients are sort of a time-critical manner. So if you have an off-the-shelf therapy, it's great. 
maybe not necessarily for autoimmunity and um, solid organ transplantation, but it would also help reduce manufacturing costs. And that's something that really needs to be taken into consideration for CAR T reg therapy, where you're looking at yeah, autoimmune indications, which are already well served with existing cheap therapies. How can you justify potentially 200 grand product, do you know what I mean, for example, when there's already cheaper products out there that are helping to for the maintenance of different autoimmune indications? And potentially um, looking at the use of gene editing tools to avoid viral vehicles or the potential pitfalls that do occur with allergenic products. We don't know if graft versus host disease is a thing. So if you do use gene editing tools, could you eliminate that particular risk? The other thing we need to consider is um, trafficking of CAR T-Rex to the target site, depending on the indication as well. And if there is any crosstalk or interference with immunosuppressive regimens. And that's me done. Thank you very much for listening to my very short talk. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. It was excellent. And I liked how you really kind of framed it at the end to, you know, address real world considerations in terms of cost, because that is a real world consideration. And whether or not, a, a, you know, these sort of academic exercises make it into the clinic. So that's really, that's important. And I just want to open it up now to um, our audience. We have quite a few people here, and I think it might be a nice uh, opportunity for you to talk and ask questions about, you know, what's going on in for you right now in the laboratory. I have a quick question. So about the source of T-Rex, so I think most people just take peripheral blood and then sort T-Rex based on C25 high. That's L2 receptor alpha chain, C127 low, that's L7 receptor. Are there other ways to have better T rates? I see 45RA for naive cells. Every few years there's a paper, oh, we find a new marker for T rates, be it like neuropilin 1, be Helios, which is not really useful because it's not outside the cell. But so, what, do you have any thoughts of like how can we further improve on the cell source, the subset that we use? Well, in terms of markers for sorting, yeah, I mean, it's stuff because Helios, obviously, it's, I don't know, I don't really think people, don't know, Helios is always a bit of a controversial one, isn't it? Um, but you can't obviously sort and select out for Helios positive um, T-Rex. I do think, I do know Megan Levings published many times that they sort for CD45 RA, that group, and just to get the naive population. And that could be a potential strategy to go down. But then at the same time, I suppose once they start expanding, do they keep RA? So it's that, that that's something to consider in terms of the source of peripheral blood. I mean, yeah, I mean that that's sort of the difficulties when it comes to the different indications that we look at. I mean, if these patients have a, you know, by virtue of autoimmunity, these patients may have defective T-Rex or dysfunctional uh, T-Rex or like fewer numbers. So potentially looking at different sources or sourcing peripheral blood from healthy donors in some sort of way could be a strategy as well. But these are all things that still yet need to be explored, I would say. Do you have any thoughts, Leo? Uh, not too many. I guess one thing is that T-Rex are so rare to start with. So the more markers you add, the less cells you get at the end of your sort. So that always scared me a little bit. But yeah, but I like the point you say about, so for autologous therapy, you basically have people that have immune dysfunction is in their, their own immune cells to treat their immune disorders. So this is great on paper, but I worry that in reality, maybe we want to use healthy cells instead, which then exactly. goes off the shelf strategy. So then I don't know how far we're there, which I think is gonna be more, so you know, we started trying, you know, by if we replace the TCA of the car, then these cells shouldn't recognize the recipient, but then they themselves need to maybe lose HLA to not be recognized themselves, but is that enough? There's also minor, it's a completely antigens that people don't know them all yet. 
the NP-Mega cell is too perfect, then if there's a problem like a viral infection, then you can get rid of it. And so I guess it could be a three hour dis discussion, but yeah, that is my <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah. <laughs> nice. No, it is interesting to, yeah, there's all these things that you do need to consider as well, but then if you have a healthy, exactly what you said, you have a healthy donor blood, then it's like, well, could there be any risk of, you know, the recognition that you don't want? But I'd guess there's, I haven't seen any publications to really be clear about that, so. Yeah, once you get them in there, how do you get them out in case of a of a situation like that? That's another piece of the puzzle. Majid, did you want to ask a question? Of course. Uh, thank you so much, Yasemin. It was short and sweet and uh, very interesting. So uh, my question is, uh, have you tried those uh, T-Rex uh, in, in vivo? And have you tested the stability of those T-Rex uh, both in vitro and in vivo? Uh, in terms of the undifferentiation or uh, changing the fate uh, when you uh, co-express with the IL-10? Yeah, so unfortunately, the reason why we didn't um, make, be honest, pub, uh, publish the in vivo work is, I mean, I, they, it was really hard to get the animal model working, to be completely frank. But what happened was it looked like the additional IL-10 was actually showing a negative impact on the mice. And they were developing sort of GVHD kind of symptoms, you could say. Um, we obviously didn't, we didn't publish that because it wasn't enough. I didn't have enough sort of data to kind of back it up. And then, you know, you know how it goes three, you know, three years later, oh, you know, end of your funding now, right up. Okay, I don't have time to continue exploring this uh, topic frustratingly. It took me too long to get the model actually working. But um, that's when my mind started to think as to what was happening with these IL-10 HLA-2 CAR T-rays. They all seem to have trafficked to the site, which was great. And obviously there's other papers that have come out, I think um, from, you know, your group as well, like Megan's studies and like um, our group as well, like um, just into Jacob's paper that came out looking at um, in vivo imaging and like what was the optimal time and how quick was it for the CAR T-Rex actually get to the, the HA2 CAR T-Rex actually get to the site that they needed to. Um, so we found that, but the downside was, is that, yeah, the IL-10 was causing some damage. And I'm, we, yeah, I'm really, I'm really frustrated by the whole situation because we didn't actually get to explore further to see what was the cause of it. But I'm also wondering why there's not been many other publications out looking at IL-10, which seems quite obvious. It was this effect seen as well by other groups. But sorry, yeah. I just asked your question. <laughs> Fine, you answered my question. So that the issue of the GVHD is a problem that we have with this current model, but. Uh, would be interesting to see how is the survival of the T-Rex in absence of the other cytokine. You know, you, the, the main issue that we have is the sub, uh, uh, persistence of the T-Rex in, after injection. So even in the not uh, co-injection with PBMC to see the rejection, but it would be nice to see how the T-Rex can survive in compare with the not oil 10 expressing cells. How is the engraftment of those cells? Later, maybe we can deal with the GVHD, but uh, whether the, having the oil 10 is improving the stability and persistence of the T-Rex would be nice to see. By the way, thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. It's uh, something to, yeah, it got me thinking that. Um, I'm not sure how it, how it could, but uh, that'd be potentially something to investigate. Um, does anyone else like to dive in? Feel free. I see uh, Andrew. Hi there. Um, yeah, thank you for your talk. Um, I joined 
uh, Megan Levings lab last year. So this is definitely not my field also. And so it's good to get other people's perspectives um, from some of the similar labs, but maybe jumping off what Majid was just talking about, something that I wonder about, like when you compare the CAR-T cancer world, like what they really found from those first CD19 CAR trials is that it's when those CAR-T cells establish memory cells and are persisting, like they can, if they can find those CAR-T cells, like, you know, a year or so later, those are the ones that tend to have the better outcomes who don't relapse. So do we expect a similar thing with something like uh, organ transplantation? Like, do we need those long-term persistence or is it like something that, you know, like ideally you can establish tolerance, you know, within the like, the time that those cells are there and then the Tregs presumably die off and then the person's okay. So that's something that I've been wondering about. Well, that's a really good question. I think that's something that we're all trying to figure out as well. I mean, the goal would be infectious tolerance would be great in some sort of way. And like the bystander suppression, that is also Im implicated as well. Um, I know Jeff Bluestone's group did show that there was peak persistence of Tregs. Um, I think 25% of the Tregs were in peak circulation a year after infusion. So um, I think that's, obviously it's one thing in the cancer realm where it's sort of, you don't necessarily want a one shot, but you're trying to clear the tumors that are present. But in the cases of solid organ transplantation or autoimmunity, this is sort of a chronic situation. But you, that I think is the question is, is do you need the T-Rex to kind of, car T-Rex to hang around? Do you need them to be present permanently? Probably not if you can induce the state of tolerance. But that's something that, I don't think we have the answer to yet. And it's something that we need to figure the answer out to. Um, I don't know, if, Leo, do you have any thoughts on that? Or Tracy, um, my CSO? <laughs> I can go first. Yeah, yeah, go, ahead. Uh, go ahead, Leo. Uh, sorry, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be so quick. That's why I'm going first. Yeah, in the sense, I mean, I think direct survival point infusion is a big problem. Like the in humans, even in non-human primates. I mean, you see the peak is like two weeks, three weeks later. And then you find them one year later, like what, 1% of what you did, which might be enough if there's infectious tolerance. Number one, number two is that you can only sample the cells that are circulating in blood. So maybe if you're optimistic, you say, oh, they're all in the tissue now, so you can't see them. So I think that's an unresolved question. And so actually, um, and also, it's just in the link in the chat, it's where they came out today from uh, Ron Corolla's lab, shows the TR1 cells, not quite T-Rex, but you know, make a lot of IL-10. And they're interesting cells, right, because they, they make a lot of IL-10, they are antigen-specific. They also kill leukemia cells, if I recall correctly. So they have kind of this duality to them. They kill tumor cells, but they also suppress. And they also find them a year later. So this seems to be the new metric now, is can you find your cells in blood one year later? And so, yeah, I guess my thoughts is, I think if we can improve either via car signaling domains, uh, right, like in the Levings group they did, or, uh, or via modifying the T-Rex themselves, right? You're talking about, you know, improving. If there's defects, can you correct them? I think that, that, that that's definitely a, a valuable goal. And it's also easy to measure because inject the cells and you just count them. How many do I get after one month, two months, three months? I think it's an ongoing problem that maybe they don't stay around for long enough. Like in our paper recently, we saw that when you have GVHD in mice, you see like a 50% decrease in the mouse deaths with CAR T-Regs, but then those mice, they survive and at some point they die as well. And I think it's because the T-Rex, there's no IL-2 to keep them alive, so they die. And then whatever remaining PBMCs, T-cells are in there, they come back up and they finish the mice. So I think that 
improving T-Rex survival, even with infectious tolerance by sense suppression, is still a desirable goal. Yeah. No, I mean that th that's true. I guess I'll um I'll I'll make two two comments, and I know we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago when Jeff was on. Is that it may be completely different in terms of autoimmunity versus transplant, and we're hoping now with the approval of our CTA and liver transplant with Quell that we're going to you know over the course of the next year and a half be able to answer some of these questions, right? Because if these are A2, you know, don't donor car Tregs, do we see them trafficking to the site of the liver and by virtue of being able to do serial biopsies in the liver, you know, actually see the presence of the cells there and then compare what we see to the periphery? Because everybody's point is well taken. I'm not sure that what we see in the persistence in the periphery is really important. In, in terms of prevention of, you know, allo rejection. And so do we really know if we see them in the periphery? And does that even, and do we see them by sensitive PCR techniques from serial biopsies, you know, after delivery and, you know, by weaning the pa patients off immunosuppression, can we correlate the persistence with, with actually clinical operational tolerance? You know, the, the Japanese group, the, the TOTO study that was done, you know, would, would suggest with, you know, alloreactive, not antigen specific Tregs that, you know, that this is actually possible, you know, five, seven years out, you know, post living donor, you know, transplantation in this. And, and I wonder if we have enough of a signal for proliferation with the A2, because it's going to the liver in an A2 positive um, graft and an A2 negative donor. So you get this constant antigen activation and, and, you know, infectious tolerance occurs. But in terms of autoimmunity, I think it's a, a different um, animal altogether, right? Depending on what diseases we're talking about in type one, with patchy infiltrate in terms of islets, and, you know, where we're intervening in the patients, maybe we do need to think about some other persistence technology or even redosing. I know we talked about a couple, you know, weeks ago, it would be ideal one and done if we can really prove that this infection tolerance like occurs. But I think in, in the case of autoimmunity, we, you know, may think of if it's feasible for isolating from the patient, can we go back in and, and, and redose? But if, if we see the cells within a year, you know, of the patients, that's great in the peripheral blood. But I think we're really hoping to see them in the target organ to answer some of these specific questions. Because they're all they're all good questions. Yeah, I, I would ask sort of outside of this you know forum here, how robust is the conversation um, collaboration between the two camps of the you know the GVHD uh, people and the autoimmune sort of focused people in the in the context of Treg treatment? Like, do you guys you know cross talk all the time or? is, you know, because it seems like there's a lot of lessons to be learned from, you know, communicating across borders. I, I think I, I, I can answer maybe some others <laughs> will say too, but um, crosstalk all the time definitely doesn't happen. I, I, I know, of, of course, personally, Bruce Blazar and John Wagner at the University of Minnesota that, you know, have pioneered a lot of this work with, you know, expanding cord blood, you know, Tregs in prevention, you know, of GVHD, or, or at least using it as a bridge to transplant prior to bone marrow transplantation, ensure some of the lessons learned there just in, in terms of expansion, in terms of the source that we've talked about, careful characterization of the cells, 
and, and what you really see in, ter in terms of persistence would be helpful. Maybe you can invite them to one of these and we can uh, have some, uh, you know, organ transplantation, GVHD, and then autoimmunity, like all together. And it would be great to get their take on it too. It's a good suggestion. Yeah, we'd be happy to do that. And we also, um, we do these sort of ask the experts that's a broadcast, but we also have a private salon that we call off the record. And we just have, you know, um, groups just talk very freely. Kind of, we're hoping to make it like a Gordon conference after hours, but okay, yeah, so we have that going on too. So yeah, that's a great idea. I will reach out to them and try to put that together. I guess I would also say, you know, with the, the whole idea of, you know, uh, if anyone wants to comment on, on what are your thoughts? I mean, is this sort of in its infancy on the microbiome's impact on, you know, just T-Rays in general, that's starting to become more clear, but you know, when you're, when you're implanting or uh, infusing these constructed T-Rays, uh, do you think there may be some interplay interference with the microbiome? Can I add can I add something else before we go for the microbiome? I think it's a, that one is a very important thing that we have to consider, considering the recent publication. But in follow-up of the Tracy uh, comment, uh, definitely for the uh, clinical application and uh, infusion of the T-Rex, uh, we are not going to withdraw the immunosuppressive drug. And if immunosuppressive drug is a part of the treatment, will be in part of the treatment, are playing important role on the stability of the T-Rex and also persistence of the T-Rex. So these two cannot be separate from each other. Even if we do some study in the absence of the immunosuppressive, when it's immunosuppressive come in the middle, the impact on the infused T-Rex will be very important to know in advance. And uh, definitely the microbiome is another thing which is not in my expertise, but definitely it will be interesting to see. Anybody on the microbiome? Okay, maybe that's for an off the record. Have to invite Amaral to this. Okay, uh, well, this was really fascinating. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for getting the, um, the talk started and getting people to add, add a lot of value to the conversation. And thank you all for participating. And you know, until the next time, we'll set up we'll set up the next one shortly. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. Right. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Have a great rest of your day. Bye bye. You bye. too. Bye bye. Thank you.